This is Creative Mornings, a new podcast showcasing the global creative community. This episode is brought to you by MailChimp. MailChimp has over 8 million users that collectively send over 17 billion emails a month. More at MailChimp.com. MailChimp. Send better email. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. This is Matt. So today's talk is a really fun one. It's also really funny. Ben Chestnut is co-founder and CEO of MailChimp. Now, I won't be presumptuous and assume that everyone knows what MailChimp is, even though they do happen to be one of the most frequent podcast sponsors that you hear, including this one. But the service they provide is email marketing. For instance, if you're a band and you want to start collecting email addresses from fans, you would use MailChimp to organize those names and send out a newsletter whenever you have something to promote. MailChimp is based out of Atlanta, Georgia, and that's where this event took place in December of 2011. This was actually only the third event for the Creative Mornings Atlanta chapter, and their host, Blake Howard, tells us that it almost didn't happen. So this is our third event. We haven't really worked out the kinks. We were at a new venue um, at, at Piedmont Park, which is one of our our biggest parks right in the heart of the city. It's a really great venue, but I hadn't really uh, been around enough producing events like Creative Mornings to know how tricky the audio and the video can be. So we pull out the mic and the mic doesn't work and we're getting all this bad feedback. And we, we basically work on troubleshooting all the technical stuff all the way up until about five minutes before it's time to get started. And so the last minute it all worked. Um, and then Ben ends up giving, you know, this incredible talk. So in hindsight, it's pretty funny to think about, wow, this, this event, which was one of our best events still to date after four years, uh, almost didn't happen because the audio could have been a disaster. And when Blake says that it remains to be one of their best events ever, it's no joke. It actually had an incredible impact on their scene. People really started talking about specifically this talk and it got shared a lot and it got a lot of views. And I think that people in Atlanta started stumbling upon it or seeing it and saying, oh, wow, something like this exists in Atlanta. And so this talk, I think, was the catalyst for putting us on the map in the creative community in Atlanta. And I really do think that this was a turning point for our chapter and the response was just through the roof. The talk is titled Do What You Love. And it's really interesting to hear Ben Chestnut's approach to that, especially coming off of last week's episode with Simon Sinek, who spoke about loving your work. And if you haven't heard that one, I'd recommend queuing it up. Now, although this is one of the funnier talks, Ben's message is really profound, which is why in Atlanta, the bar was set very high, very early. It's really hard to compete. Usually when I recruit a new speaker... I send them this talk and say, hey, this is the bar. <laughs> this, is, like, this is the best one that's ever been done. So if you can get close to this, it'll be a home run. So I'd just like to make clear before we start that Ben used a lot of slides for his lecture. They are funny slides, and you'll hear the audience laugh at times that you may not think there was a joke. Just know that that's what's going on, and very few of the moments didn't make sense as a podcast, so I had to edit them out completely. That's all for my disclaimer, and here's Ben Chestnut. This is kind of exciting for me because uh, for the last 10 years of my life, uh, pretty much I only got invited to speak about email marketing. So like finally, I get to talk about something else. 
You know, like I, I have, I love email, but I have nothing more to say about email. It's like, it's like, I've been talking about this. Like, if you have something interesting to say, send an email. Otherwise, don't send anything. Like, it's it's really that simple. Um, so, so, and I actually tell employees like spread rumors in the industry that like I'm a germaphobe and and I I won't travel, and and that way people will stop asking me to talk about email marketing. So. Um, so what I, I and, and so like 10 years I've had all these thoughts and, and they've been stuck up here because no one's asked me to talk about them and Tina invited me she said, you can talk about anything you want so this is like just to warn you this is like 10 years of stuff that <laughs> have been tormenting me uh, so let me I, I hope I can so what I want to talk about is uh, controlled chaos and the maximization of entropic states as applied to steam engines in creative environments it is an insanely uh, laborious title and probably the most uncreative title ever for a creative mornings. But running a, 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 a creative environment in a creative office is, is really hard work. Uh, it's unbelievable hard work. And that's kind of what I want to convey in this. Um, so I, I was, it's, this is going to be a really chaotic lecture, by the way. Point A to point B. How did I get to MailChimp? I'll give you a little background. I, uh, I, I grew up in a uh, creative household. Uh, my, my, my brother was uh, a painter and also a musician. He played the guitar, and he fiddled with electronics. And my, my, my sisters were into graphic arts. They were always, like, making collages and stuff. Uh, my mother was, like, an aspiring chef. My father was an aspiring writer, but also a computer programmer. Um, so we, just, we were just always making stuff at home. And... Um, I was into cartooning. I thought I wanted to be a cartoonist when I grew up. I, I would take, uh, I would steal post-it notes from my sisters and my brother and, and make little cartoons. And I would take them to school and show them off, you know, I'd flip them on the bus and the kids would gather around and like, oh, that's so cool. And then I started to sell them. I turned it into a business, right? So like, I would stay up late at night. I should have been doing my math homework, but I would like make these cartoons and sell them for like 50 cents, which is so stupid. I'd you know, all night and I, 50 cents. I, you know, I, really bad at math. Um, so so I, would, I, would, I would take these to school and, and they'd love them. They were like little stick figures that ran across the screen, you know, bouncing balls and people loved it and they wanted more. So I'd like make a car come in and run over the people, you know, and they, they were like, man, that's awesome. Do more, more, more. You know, so I had to make like jets come in and drop bombs on the cars and the cars would explode and little tires would bounce around on the screen and they wanted more, more, you know, and I found myself like I was 10 or something and I was like already dealing with a-hole clients, like really demanding, <laughs> like I was just 10 and like I, I couldn't wake up in the morning. I, I didn't want to get on the bus anymore, like, you know, so I got out of it. I just totally got out of the business. And uh, my dad, he bought us an, an Amstrad PC. And I guess he wanted me to be a computer programmer. He said, you know, you want to learn this stuff? And I was like, no, no. Numbers, no, no, no. So uh, he, he didn't push me. He said, that's fine. You know, I didn't, I didn't touch it for a while. And we went to Radio Shack one day. Um, uh, and he, he takes this box off the shelf. He's like, you know, what do you think, huh? huh? And I, I think it was called Paint Deluxe Pro. Uh, I tried to go back and find this. It, it looks like one of the first programs from Electronic Arts, which is like a gaming company now. But it's Paint Deluxe Pro. All I remember is like on the cover was this like giant tiger. 
it was a huge tiger face, and I was like, oh, tiger. You know, I was like, I want to learn that. Um, so we, he bought it. It was like hundreds of dollars, and you know, he never like spent that much money. He's just like, let's get it. So it was like five floppy disks. You had to load this, like the five-inch kind. Like, and there was no hard drive. It was like in the RAM. You had to load this in order to start the program. Uh, and I, I totally fell in love with this. Uh, I was drawing on the computer all the time. And I knew that's what I wanted to do with the rest of my life, just draw things on computers. Like, there was no, no, no name for this profession. It was kind of new, right? There were no DeVry commercials, like <laughs> computer graphics or anything. I, was, I had no idea. So I just figured that um, I, I had to be an engineer. Like, engineers got to play with computers and draw stuff. So I went all through um, high school taking drafting classes, uh, just thinking, I've got to be an engineer, so I'll take drafting. And um, Then it was time to apply to college, and uh, <laughs> Georgia Tech rejected me. The, uh, the, the School of Mechanical Engineering was like, no, your math is really bad, you know. So I was like, screw you guys, I'm just going to go to UGA, and uh, <laughs> I'm going to study physics. So... Two years I studied physics, and it was really, I looked like him. I was very depressed. Um, uh, I, you know, it was like, all right, I know how the world works now. Like, what am I going to do with that? So my sister, she, she was working in a creative company. She was at Hallmark, actually, designing cards. And, you know, um, her friends heard about me and sent me a uh, care package in the mail. And I remember getting this. It was uh, a college catalog for Art Center in Pasadena. You guys know about this, this school out there? And I got it, and I was like, wow, I learned about this profession of industrial design. It's like, man, this is awesome. Like, the suits and, like, he, he Lowy, he's always got, like, a cigarette in all of his pictures. Like, These guys get to play with computers. They draw stuff, and there's no math. There's not, not that much. So I was like, I want to do that now, you know? So Pasadena is extremely expensive, that school. So, you know, my dad was like, no, 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 no. So... Turns out, yeah, Georgia Tech has a school of industrial design. And uh, so I, I remember driving from Athens to Atlanta to talk to uh, the director. It was Bill Bullock at the time. I don't know if anybody knows him. But he looked at my portfolio. Like, I, I drew, like, two pictures. And he said, you know, uh, you've got potential. Uh, but it's obvious you haven't been doing this. So, like, if you were to apply today, we would say no. But... If you apply to the Georgia Tech School of Physics, like nobody wants to learn physics, go to physics, they'll let you in, and then you just transfer. And, you know, it's like if you transfer, no one looks at your portfolio, you can just get in, you know. So I was like, really? You know, like these designers are like really sneaky people. So I applied, and they actually let me in. I was like, you know, I was like, suckers. So... I, I got in, and, you know, I was really, really into product design, right? So I, I love product design. Uh, I would probably be designing cars today, but I suck with X-Acto knives. Like, these are the tool of the devil. They, they, they're cylindrical. Do you guys use these things? They're, they spin in your hand. They're, they're not right. So I said, screw this. I'm going to get into web design. It's like... And... Um, so, like, with, with web design, it's, like, clean. You don't have to sand anything or cut anything. It's, like, just pixels. It's nice, clean computers. Uh, and, and so, like, one thing led to another, and I ended up at MailChimp. So, um, <laughs> like, 
Yeah, and, and so like now I'm like the CEO of a software company, and like it's it's I'm the happiest I've ever been. It's the most challenging and stressful I've ever been, but I'm the happiest. And you know, I didn't start off looking to be the CEO of a company. I wanted to be a cartoonist, and I think that's my first lesson. Is you always hear people say, "Do what you love, do what you love," and and it's partly true. But if it's if it's business, you know, if you start a business doing what you love, it will kill you. It will kill your passion. Uh, you know, if you like to bake and you start a bakery, you will hate baking very soon. Uh, I, I kind of like love what you do better because, you know, it's like wherever you're at, just be good at it, embrace it, love it, and eventually success will find you. Um, I actually kind of believe that. Um, but, you, you know, you, you don't forget your passion. though. You never forget it. So, like, after all these years, we actually made a coloring book, you know. We're a software company, and we made this coloring book. And it's called Love What You Do. And it's all about our little mascot, Freddy, like doing little things in life, but really loving it, just finding joy. Um, and I just love this message. And we, we, we printed out thousands of these things, and we just send them out to customers randomly. Uh, and we, they send back pictures of their kids coloring, like at the laundromat, you know, when they're all bored. And it's just it's very touching for me. Uh, and this is what I always wanted to do anyway. So, you know, mission accomplished. Um, and, and it got featured on this blog called Swiss Miss, some little design thing. And it, I, I don't know, Tina, if you know this, but like the editor of Fast Company apparently loves Swiss Miss. And she made a writer contact me and do a story on us. Uh, so that was kind of, kind of neat. Uh, and so it was all about uh, creative cultures and how we give you permission to be creative in the company. And they talked about kind of the wacky things that go on in the company. Kind of like, I don't know if you guys use MailChimp or not, but like we have this mascot, Freddie. It just says random things while you're building your newsletter. Like, you know, why am I smiling? I'm not wearing any pants. You know, and, and people love it. You know, and, and he says lots of other random stuff that our customers have sent us. Um, and and we, we started to get some designers saying, you know, I love this, but my clients, you know, he's got to stick up his butt. Can you turn this off in any way? Is there like a button? So we made a button. Let's see. Yeah, it's called party pooper mode. Uh, <laughs> So, so you just activate that and the monkey goes away. But, you know, they, they love it and they, they snap twit pics of it. You know, it's kind of like a secret with us and the, the designers. And there are all kinds of like little touches in the app. Like when you hit the send button, just under it, we say, this is your moment of glory, right? And that's really, I, I can't take credit for any of this stuff. Like I, all I can say is I try to make an environment where people on the team can just play around like this. I discovered this stuff along with our customers. You know, I, I will send emails like, who did this? Like, this is kind of cool. Um, so I, I, and you'll see people tweet all about this kind of love. They just love these tiny touches. Um, if you search for the word boredom in our app, the whole screen turns into an asteroids game. <laughs> it's like these crazy, like, Easter eggs in the app. And, like, we don't say, like, I don't say, go, go do an Easter egg. It's, it's, I think I, I asked the guys, like, the CSS is way too bloated. It's like 500K, knock it down. And, you know, like the guy started researching efficient coding methods and stuff. And somewhere in the process, they found this, this game maybe has an exercise in efficient coding or something like that. So they shaved down like hundreds and hundreds of K. And then they added this game back in because they had room, you know. They just <laughs> sort of snuck it back in. So uh, That's where creativity comes from, right? Um, we, we, we used to spend a lot of money on Google AdWords, and we still do, in case Google's watching, we still spend money. But 
we launched a freemium program a little while ago, and that's, it really, really ramped up um, our user base, and we could save a lot of money from Google. And we looked at the money that we were spending over there, we said, you know, we could pocket it, or let's maybe invest in our customers. So we started making these t-shirts, and we'll ship them all over the world. Uh, and it's like a nice surprise when customers like graduate from free to paid, you know, you, you win a t-shirt. And we'll ship it to you. And um, we're, we're getting photos back from all over, like these fancy places that I hope to be able to travel to one day. And, you know, we're starting to get sightings, like, hey, I saw you on TV. And, like, we'll, we'll get stuff like this. This is some guy on Hawaiian TV, I think. Um, this is kind of neat. And then, like, people, this is a print ad for some gym, apparently. And, like, that guy is wearing a Freddy T-shirt. It's kind of cool. Um, we, we, we make these knitted hats, um, and we just ship these out randomly as well. Um, and, and, and our customers post pictures of this, they love this stuff, and naturally they started putting them on dogs. And we would, po we would retweet these, um, and then, you know, of course the cat people wanted something, so we had to start making cat hats. Uh, it's actually like a, a friend of a friend of a family member in Thailand that knits these, like on one of those street markets, and now we've like, I think she's probably like super rich out there, but cause we, we buy like thousands of these things every month. And like, um, I, I remember writing the email, like people were demanding cat hats. So I, you know, I was like, this is going to sound weird, but can you make these for cats? You know? And, uh, you know, they wrote back like in five minutes, like, yes, send us the measurements for an American cat. So, <laughs> like they're not obese, you know, what do you, so we, we made a bunch of these and we sent them out and like we get like cats don't like hats. You know? <laughs> that one's freaking out. Uh, <laughs> uh, and so then that, that gave us an idea like all of this like randomness, you know, it, it starts giving us ideas like we made an iPhone app called uh, Piao. <laughs> yes, actually, thank you. Um, so, you know, we were into cats for a little while, and we were like, hey, let's make Piao, and we'll make, like, laser shoot out of his eyes. Because this, this is sort of like a red laser app. It scans QR codes uh, for our customers who want to, like, send coupons and stuff. So, and, of course, this was like, wow, that's kind of neat. Um, so we need to make, like, cat-shaped hats as well. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so it's like in our office, I love, like, if you say, hey, can you hand me a cat hat? They're like, well, like, which one? Like, the, the monkey-shaped ones for cats or the cat-shaped ones for dogs and humans? Uh, you have to be specific when you say cat hats uh, at, Mail at MailChimp. Uh, so, like, people see stuff like this in our company, uh, and they see articles and stuff, and they ask me, like, what's the formula? What's the formula for running a, a creative company? You know, is it like, you know, is it that simple? And, and I, never, I, I never know the answer. Like, it's such a weird question to me. Like, how do you have a creative company? Because um, I think companies are like legal entities. They're not creative. They're just pieces of paper. It's, it's these people. It's, you, you're, you're totally missing the point. People want to be creative. Um, so I wanted to share what I learned about humans. Uh, and this is while I was designing refrigerators in Iowa. Uh, while I was an industrial design student, I actually interned, uh, I think it was 96, like wherever, when, when the Olympics were in Atlanta, I was in Iowa. Like, I'm never where the action is. So I, I was out in the cornfields designing refrigerators in this uh, in-house design studio. 
And the designers were awesome people. And the product managers that they worked with were awesome people. I learned a lot about business and managing uh, business and focus groups and all that kind of stuff. But when the two groups had to get together, it was pure hell. Like it was the, the passive aggressive tension in the room was just crazy. And I was just like a stupid intern, but even I could tell, man, these guys hate each other. And, and I never knew why, but years later, I, you know, I'm piecing things together, and I understand now, they would secretly buy these Japanese and Korean refrigerators, and ship them in and like dissect them and look at them. And they'd say, ooh, ah, look, it's got these floral prints on them. They've got curves. And this is 96, so like curves were new. They're like, wow, curves. And like they didn't beep. They sang like they, birds would chirp, and they would sing music. And we were like, man, we want to do that. But... The whole company was tooled, the factories were tooled to make white sheet metal boxes. You could do white, glossy white, off-white, <laughs> textured white, uh, or cream. And that's all we could do, and it was incredibly frustrating to, to get to the point where they could do something beautiful. They're doing beautiful stuff now, but it would be like three, four years. So the designers and the managers, they all hated each other because they just couldn't get anything creative done. It's really, really frustrating. So my takeaway was, humans really want to create lots of cool stuff, and they want to see other people using cool stuff. That's all they want in life. If you can create a business that takes advantage of this, you might have a, a creative company, so to speak. Um, but the thing is, you have to set up a business to take advantage of this, and, and most businesses, they're, they're set up in a weird way. They kind of make a fundamental mistake somewhere along the way. Um, so I, I thought I'd explain it. This is, this is part of that, you know, the 10 years of like pent up frustration about, you know, business. So here's an example. Uh, an entrepreneur has an idea usually. He wants to start a company. And uh, a business is kind of like this, this steam machine, right? Like you don't know how this works. You, you start up a business and you're like, oh, if I tweak this knob, I think money comes out. Like... <laughs> If I adjust the screw or, like, you know, maybe make the, the, the pulley or something tighter, like, more money will come out, right? Like, so that's, like, the first couple of years. And then after a little while, you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Two knobs. Like, <laughs> what happens then? Like, holy sh... Wow, look, five... And then you, this, you're like, wow, man, I, I kind of get this stuff. This is kind of cool. So now, you know, I'm going to start thinking big. Like, <laughs> Richard Branson big, Right? You start learning about key performance indicators, you know, like my KPIs are all like knobs. So I'm like, but knobs on top of knobs, and I've got knobs down here, and then like, bam, right? That's usually what happens. And, and this is where things, you know, begin, begin to kind of shake with a company. Like, all right, this money is like a pain in the ass to count. Like, do you guys have that problem? Like, it's like pain in the ass, right? Uh, it's like everywhere, like you need like a manager to help you organize and stack this stuff, right? Because that's what managers do. They organize and they create order. And managers are good. I'm a manager. You need managers. They create order. You need that. Um, the thing is, and this is not where things go wrong. Things go wrong when that original entrepreneur, the creative guy, says, you know what? I, I deserve a break. I'm going to delegate now. The business is running itself. I can sort of like step back a little bit, hands off. That's where things go wrong. They're like, I'm going to take up like extreme 
sex uh, surfing something, you know. I, like, um, so he's out there like living it up, you know, that's what business people do. You're like, you deserve a break. You've been working like for like 10 years trying to make that stupid money machine print something. And you deserve a break, right? So you're going to be hands-off. You're going to delegate. I hate that word, delegation. Um, I think it's kind of BS. But, like, you're, you're out there. And the thing is, your manager's back at the office. Like, what do I do with this thing? Like, he didn't leave a manual. I don't operate this stuff. I just protect. So, like, I'm going to hire, like, robots. And they're going to guard it, right? That's what I do. I, I protect and defend business. And they're going to need guns and <laughs> dirt bikes. And, like, if you have guns and dirt bikes, you need lawyers. And, like, lawyers, they need copy machines and shredders. And everybody needs to sit down. And, like, you need label printers because people, like, take your chairs, you know? And they, like, like, they mix them all up. So, you know. Um, and then you need cameras to watch all those bastards because they will steal your stuff. You know? And you end up with, like, way too much law and order. That's what managers do that, though. And, and they, they, it's a good thing. You need this. But when it gets too much, before you know it, uh, your whole company is thinking like managers, right? You're not all managers, but you're thinking like managers. You're, 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 you're defending the money machine that you made 10 years ago. No one's making new machines. No one's looking to improve it. You're just defending, defending against competition, uh, whatever. You're just in defense mode. And even worse, the creative people at the bottom they're like, wow, the only way to move up in this company is to become a manager or think like a manager, right? So that's, that's where things really start to end. So too much order is really horrible, really horrible. You've got to balance it out with disorder and chaos, right? So before you get into chaos, like this is what I remember from physics at UGA, right? So like entropy, this is study of, of waste and disorder. It was this, uh, discovered by, I think, a French scientist. Are there any, like, physics majors in here? Anybody that actually knows this? Because, all right, good. Uh, so I can make shit up. All right, so, like, it was a, a French scientist who came up with this. Uh, he, was, he was, like, looking at steam engines and saying, wow, man, like, that's my French accent. Like, you put, you put f- potential energy, like, fuel into this machine, and kinetic energy comes out the other side, like useful work. But somewhere in the middle, there's all this waste, this smoke. It, it, it just, where does it come from? It's like nature, so weird. Like, I'm going to call it entropy, right? And like, no matter what in nature, you're going to get entropy, this chaos, this disorder. And I'm going to like label it with like S, because E would be too obvious. So I'm not going to use S. S stands for entropy. And like Q is heat, T is... Temperature or something. I went to UGA, so get out my back right now. But nature, what I got out of it is nature. Nature loves chaos. Nature needs chaos. If, if you, you, can have, you can have like something really nice and orderly. This is really my takeaway from, from, from entropy. It's like you can have a nice, orderly studio, like, like studio maser. It's like nice and clean and white with little red accents. But if you want work to get done, you're going to have to let humans in. And the humans, like human nature, they're going to turn it into a pigsty, right? Um, it is inevitable, and that's, that's just nature, chaos. You need to, you need to get, get used to it. But the thing is, managers hate disorder. They don't like this entropy stuff. Uh, it's inefficient, you know? It, it ruins their sorting. And, um, you know, if they had their way, S, entropy, would be zero. And uh, I believe... 
the way that the equations work out is like without S you don't get Q and Q is a part of the equation for work and like so basically no chaos, no work, no output. If they have their way, you know, there'd be no pigsties, which means no pigs, no pigs, no bacon, no bacon, no bacon bits. We need chaos. Uh, so chaos is good. You have to embrace chaos, right? I think my job as a manager of a creative kind of company and creative people is to find ways to create chaos. Little controlled chaos, not like I don't slam employees with chairs, you know, nothing like, booyah, nothing like that. Um, I want to talk about the little ways that I try to create chaos in the company. Um, so this is, this is a really big, big idea, and I didn't have time to put text on this slide. This is kind of ironic. But this is like, I think innovation and creativity comes from just assembling pieces from other stuff in weird ways, you know? So you like, I, I try to tell people, don't worry about big ideas. Just keep making stuff. Build little things, build prototypes, sketch this. You want to learn a new programming language, go ahead, but don't take like a two-year course. Just learn a little bit and make something. You've got two weeks to do it. Two weeks is sort of the ideal uh, timeline, at least for me. After two weeks, I don't want to hear you talking about it anymore. Um, so you keep it kind of fast-paced, and you're just making junk, it feels like, just parts. And that's, that's what I tell people all the time, like, put it in the parts bin. Like, you might launch it, it might have nothing to do with email marketing, nothing to do with MailChimp, doesn't help us one bit with the business, but just save it, because we will use it one day. And then, you want to avoid meetings. You know, you, you, you want to let people stay and work on their stuff. And you need meetings every once in a while, but, but you keep it to a minimum so people can work on stuff. But then, I, I always call myself like a little bumblebee. Like, I buzz around from desk to desk, and I ask people, like, what are you working on? What are you working on? What are you working on? And I never, like, praise people, like, oh, that's cool or anything. I just say, what are you working on? Okay, what are you working on? And I just remember it, because I think my job is to go around and say, oh, you're working on this, but you need a logo? Like, oh, like Aaron over there designed a logo, and he doesn't have an app to give it to. So, like, you guys should connect. You know, and this is hard work. I could just say, you know, delegate it. You guys go have a meeting and, like, focus on two projects, you know. But this is much more hard work, but, you know, you just have to deal with it. You don't delegate the creativity away. You, you, you deal with it. It is difficult, time-consuming. But I don't feel like I'm doing my job if I'm not buzzing around like a bumblebee. So I, I wanted to show you kind of how this happens at our company. So this is sort of this, this he's a programmer, Jesse, that's, yeah. Uh, and he, he doesn't shave, he like lets his hair grow until he's done with a project and then he shaves. So we know when he's working on something and when he's done with something. <laughs> so he grows and then like he, he was ready to shave and our video guy, Josh, he was like, you know, can we film you? Like when you shave? And it was like, whatever, you know, it was kind of random, silly stuff. And so he films it and they, they thread it backwards. Nothing, you know, no rocket science there, but it's like, whatever. And you, you, we posted it to Posterous or something and customers got a chuckle and, you know, no big deal. And people think this is like creative culture at work, but no, that's not, that's a, that's a piece. That's, this is, this is uh, you know, like a part here. Uh, this is work. Because like later on, you know, our creative director starts thinking like, whoa, you know, he kind of looks like this Viking Terminator like robot thing, right? And he starts like getting into Vikings all of a sudden. And uh, you know, it, it really goes nowhere, but he's sketching like, like swords and skulls and stuff. And it turns out Chad, our lead engineer upstairs, is working on something called Alter Ego, and it's a two-factor security app. 
and uh, he doesn't have a logo. He's like, I, I, maybe the design geniuses can come up with something. And it's like, hey, we have a sword, so like, we got this done. The whole project was done in about two weeks. And so we launched this thing, and what's really beautiful, the whole human thing, you want to build something cool, and you want to see other people use it. We built this in two weeks and made it free for our 1.2 million users. So we get to see it in action. And, you know, like version one that we knocked out in, in two weeks, it, didn't, it, was a, it was a mobile web app, not a native iPhone or Android app. You had to log in through your browser and your phone. That was okay. We just wanted to get it live, though. And it turns out we have, you know, we have a mobile lab two doors down from Chad. And I told them about this. You know? I, I don't say, hey, we're working on something. Can you help? I like to say, we just launched something. Can you help? Um, I think that's important. We, we just launched something now. Can you go back and help us like, build a native app? And they were actually kind of wanting to tinker with Android apps. You know, they were into iPhone, but they wanted to... And this was such a simple little app, so they actually built it, and I, 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 got, us, I got Josh to film this thing in action. Um, so we got so what's happening right on. now is Ben is showing the audience a video of somebody who appears to be wearing a gorilla suit demoing this app, and it's like a gorilla arm holding a phone, swinging it around like a sword. Flawless kill. It's like that lightsaber game where like, when you swing this thing around, it sounds like sword fighting. You know? So we're, we're hoping that someday somebody plays with this thing and moves it, and they're like, whoa, wait a minute. You know, lightsaber. And they'll be in their office like, swinging the thing around. You know? But you know, we, we were done in two weeks, and so you have time to like, work in Easter eggs like that, like bring some creative, fun stuff into the app. So it's almost like you go back to that money machine in business, and like, the, the average guy would say, you know, I want a creative company. I, I, I get what I want. So, like, you creative people, start being creative. You know, give me more uh, useful output, you know, and stop it with that smoke stuff. It's annoying. And in our company, we say, whoa, look at that smoke. Look at that awesome smoke, guys. Can you do something like, whoa, shh. Like, give me more, you know. And, like, the creative people are looking at you like, this guy is a weirdo. But meantime, a byproduct is innovation and money. So you just sort of flip the equation around. Instead of focusing on the work, you focus on the entropy or the chaos, and you get a byproduct. Hope that makes some kind of sense. <laughs> ben took some questions from the audience, and before we get to those, I thought we should take care of some business. And funny enough, this episode was made possible by MailChimp. I had a little conversation with Benji Wagner. He's the co-founder and creative director of a company called Polar. They make outdoor stuff, and they're spelled P-O-L-E-R. But Benji's vision for the brand is so much more than just the products they sell. It's not just a product-driven brand. It's really culturally driven, and we really try and inspire people. And obviously, we need to sell stuff to stay in business, but it's not just about the product, so we try and have fun with it, you know? And that's where MailChimp comes in. I do all these adventure stories, an awesome photographer going out and, and telling a story that um, is meant to inspire people, and it's essentially an editorial. We we don't only showcase like we have this new product. It's basically like here's an adventure that's meant to get people psyched to go out and into the wild. And we always incorporate that into our email blasts and try and promote the photographers as well. And for Polar, a four year old company, 
MailChimp was a no-brainer from the beginning. We were able to start out and use it for free for quite a while, um, which is always really important when you're you know, a new entrepreneur and you're trying to, to start something without a ton of money behind you. So MailChimp has been a great platform for us to grow on. MailChimp has over 8 million users that collectively send over 17 billion emails a month. More at MailChimp.com. MailChimp. Send better email. All right. Back to the Q&A with Ben Chestnut. And first up, this is so good. Why MailChimp? We got Chimp from, um, we had to pull an all-nighter and it was during the Super Bowl and like we really resented that working for a client and there was no YouTube. Like people were posting to some advertising site all the commercials. So we would work and then like pull up the site and watch Super Bowl commercials and they were all chimps. So we were like, people like chimps? And then someone else asks if there was a light bulb moment or a spark that led them to start MailChimp. There wasn't. It was, it was like we were busy doing client work and it was just sort of like hustle and clients needed something. Honestly, like when we were working at uh, Cox, uh, Cox Interactive newspaper company, we saw a, a news article that Blue Mountain, like an e-greetings site from ages ago, they were bought for like $600 million. And my friend and I, we were like, dude, let's do that. So we made an e-greeting site, and I like, drew the cards, and he programmed the delivery engine. And it went nowhere. Like Friends and family were like, you guys are idiots. Um, and it just sat there with like, parts sitting in the parts bin. We knew we'd use it one day. We kept it alive. And a client, many years later, said, you know, can you do this email marketing for us, this newsletter? So we started doing it for them. It was all manual, and they kept asking for it. And so we, we built it into a web app and said, Leave us alone. Just go log in and do it yourself. And we left it. And uh, they kept annoying us with the invoices. Like $200, 200 like, come on. So we gave a credit card system so they could just pay there. And, and we left it alone for like five years. And we went back and we were like, Jesus, it's making more money than us. So there was no leap or anything. It's like while you're in there doing your work hustling, that pops up. The last question that I'll share with you here was, how do you get back to the numbers when you're working on happiness? Can you really turn that into money? And what I like about Ben's answer is that he sort of brings us back down to earth a little bit. The part about that that's hard for me to convey, I tried it and I took out the slides, is I, I don't care about your happiness. A lot of people worry about that. Like, they think that I'm here doing this fun stuff for happiness. And I always sound like an a-hole when I say this. But I, if, you're, if you're working for me and you're a creative person, it's not my job to make you happy. We have a business. It's hard work. We're making money. But I'm going to give you opportunities to be creative by keeping it fast-paced, making you do random stuff. You're going to be creative. And if you're a creative person, then you'll be happy, sort of indirectly. Uh, but I'm not ever focused on happiness. Yeah, no, I don't. Yeah. You are a robot. I plug you in and you make me money. No, that's... If you'd like to see what this talk was all about, the video is up at creativemornings.com. Just search for Ben Chestnut. So what does it mean to you to lead a creative life? That's the question that we ask every episode. And this week, we're sharing from our Toronto chapter. This is Rubina. Shit, that's a good question. It has been a journey of trying to figure that out. Each time you try something, it may not be right, but that's a part of getting to whatever it is that you're trying to get to, and you're going to know 
this is an intersection of whatever it is that you were seeking. Um, I don't think that it'll ever end. I think being creative is kind of a part of your life's journey anyways, and it contributes to how you approach things and how I'm learning and what I'm doing. So living a creative life has a lot to do with being comfortable with experimenting and exploring and just being okay with making mistakes along the way. Amen, Rubina. You could send us your answers to that very question to podcast at creativemornings.com. Next week, we take a look inside the mind of Lulu Miller, host of one of our favorite podcasts, Invisibilia. The theme of her talk was chance. I'm sitting here saying, like, think about chance, think about the universe, have faith in the universe. But really, I actually think it all comes back to having a little damn faith in yourself. Our thanks to Ben Chestnut, Blake Howard, and everyone at Creative Mornings. Also, thanks to Johannes and Helsinki for this week's Rooster Crow. Please keep sending those in to podcast at creativemornings.com. This episode was produced and edited by S. Mateo with sound engineering, mixing, and original score by Devin C. Johnson at Little Library Studios in collaboration with S. Mateo Music. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Creative Morning. Remember, it's singular. And use hashtag podcastcm. For a complete archive of talks or just to get involved, go to creativemornings.com. That's all for this week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.